For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guides for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to to be empowered. Now, here are your Show Me The Money hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me The Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. I'm Jeff Shade and I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. I'll start with you, Randy. How are you doing this morning? Doing very well. I'm getting thawed out, you know, from all this previous <laughs> cold. And we're going to have some cold to come too, Randy. I hate to tell you, but it's only January, so more of the cold stuff coming. Hey, Jake, how's this uh, morning treating you, my friend? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. Certainly glad to hear that. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Well, we've got another fine show lined up for us today. I want to start off with the Iowa caucuses. Trump really was the big winner in Iowa. There was really nobody that comes close. Yeah, that's true. Nobody really did. In fact, there were a couple of surprises there. I think, number one, I think there were quite a few people that thought he would never get the nomination, which we thought that it would be the anomaly that he did not. The second thing was most people of late thought that Nikki Haley was going to be number two, and DeSantis edged her out. So those were a couple of, for a lot of people's surprises, I think, maybe especially for Nikki Haley, huh? I think the weather played into that some. So, you know, in Des Moines, I have a I have a friend up there, a business colleague that lives in Des Moines, and he physically could not get out to get to the caucusing sites because they had 20 plus inches of snow on the ground and it was uh, negative 15 with 20 mile an hour winds whenever the caucusing started. I think there was a lot of people that couldn't get out and I think that played into Trump's hand a little bit because I think that a lot of people that support Donald Trump are pretty hardcore about it and we're getting out come heck or high water. So even considering that there are some people who couldn't get out, do you think that if they could get out that the result would have been really any different than it is? I don't know. I think, you know, I know there's Nikki Haley supporters out there. I haven't met any yet, but right. uh, I, know they're, I know they're out there somewhere. You know, I'm just glad that I didn't have to get out in the negative 35 oh wind chill with 20 inches of snow on the ground trying to cast my vote. However, I absolutely would have had it been the case. Yeah, I do think, though, you guys, I really think probably the people that stayed home more than anybody else were the people that are a little bit more vulnerable, us old folk. Yeah. Don't really want to go out into the (laughs) negative 20 and negative 25 weather. And I would say this, that based on what I am just hearing from people in my office as I talk to them on a daily basis, the vast majority of those people, I don't know, I'm going to say over 60, there's a whole lot of those Trump supporters out there. Trump said last week that the stock market was going up because he was leading in the polls against President Biden. What do you think about that comment? I think he would like to believe that. I do think there's maybe a little bit of that helping the market. I think a lot of what's helping the market is interest rates coming down. And so as long as interest rates keep coming down, uh, the market's going to like that. You know, How much of that has to do with Donald Trump? Maybe he has a 10 or 15 percent something to do with that. However, looking forward, if he is to clinch the nomination, I think the focus will shift to taxes, corporate taxes. And as that happens, they're going to realize what a big windfall is coming if if we reduce the corporate tax rate back to to 15 percent. That will be his run. I think to this point, it's been more about interest rates than about Trump. Because this is the first caucus, do we put that much stock in Trump's victory there? I mean, New Hampshire is ahead of us. 
historically, Iowa kind of sets the trend for the Republicans, uh, at least from what I've read. That's kind of the kind of the story. Yeah, there's a lot of the bandwagon effect, Jeff, that happens once somebody wins that first state, you know, wins Iowa. Uh, everybody wants to be on the winning team. If you've been around here a long time, a lot of our listeners have been, you know, there was a two or three year period there where everybody switched their St. Louis Cardinals over to Kansas City Royals because <laughs> yeah. they wanted to be part of the winning franchise. And then they quickly reversed course back to the cards. And, you know, I think the same thing happens with Iowa looking forward from there into New Hampshire and some of the other states. You know, he who wins Iowa definitely has a pretty good tailwind because of the bandwagon effect. We touched a little bit on interest rates. Where are they right now? What do you make of what's going on there? You know, the Fed funds rate has uh, not changed at this point. We're at five and a quarter to five and a half. And, you know, that's what banks get charged to borrow money from the Federal Reserve. We think and the market thinks, and I would say this, a lot of people in general think that there's going to be interest rate cuts next year, maybe as many as three, four, five. One guy even said seven. Mm. And then, of course, there's the opposite camp that says there's no way we can cut interest rates because inflation is going to raise its ugly head again and continue to move forward. So only time will tell that. Now, I know that we were tracking the last read, what was that, two weeks ago or a week ago, we were tracking 3.4 annualized, I think. Right. Against a 3.3 before is kind of what got people up in arms. I think that's partially a strong Christmas season. I don't know. We'll have to see kind of what that looks like. I think core inflation was at 3.9. I think the actual CPI, I think, like you said, was 3.3, 3.4. I think I agree with you, Randy. If I don't think the Fed is going to be in a hurry to lower interest rates. However, any sign of weakness, they will not hesitate. You know, so I think they will leave them alone unless there's weakness. But we start seeing weakness in the economy. We start seeing inflation creep up or we start seeing the unemployment rate or labor force participation changes to the negative. I think they will not hesitate to start cutting rates. Yeah, I agree. Well, the interest rate goal is going to be 2% at 3.4. Of course, that's not quite 2%. So I think those people who are waiting for interest rate cuts to happen here sooner than later are going to have to wait. They're certainly, I don't think, going to be happening in March, but they very well could happen here in 2024. And as you said, there could be up to three interest rate cuts, but don't count on it. I'm amazed at the figure of the U.S. debt here. What is it, like $34 trillion and counting? Yep, 34 and a little change. The current quarterly deficit, though, that we're, the rate at which we're adding to the debt is now over half a trillion per quarter. Wow. You know, it's going to stack up pretty quick at that level. So I think we need to stop spending money, people. I don't know how Congress can look at the things that we're spending money on and be like, well, that's essential. You right. Know, all these things yeah. that, that don't matter, um, some of which go against the very fabric of our nation. Yep. Again, many of which are just simply unnecessary. You know, probably a third of the budget could just go away and nobody would even notice. The only way to fix it is to lower spending. We're not going to have, we're not going to be able to tax our way out of this problem. We're going to have to reduce the spending. If you have a 16-year-old daughter at home, you know, and she likes to go to the mall, and you're not going to be able to make enough money to satiate the spending habits. You know, no. you have to get her to stop spending, and it's kind of the same way with the economy here. Now, nothing against 16-year-old daughters, right, Jake? No, yeah, no, not, not at not. all. I'm just, I'm just, just an analogy. Yeah, don't, don't take, don't take anything personally here. <laughs> That's right. Who do we owe this debt to, though? The common question we get asked, or the statement we hear, I guess I would say, is, you know, China owns all of our debt. Well, no, they don't. And, you know, Japan is the largest creditor that we have at $1.1 $1. $1 which puts them at about three, what, three and a half, three and a third. 
and then everybody else is uh, you know much much less than that but the majority of the debt is owned by us the american people some people are going to not going to like this comment but as we look at government entitlement programs that's partially where a lot of this debt is coming from we're propping people up and i'll tell you where i have trouble with propping people up jeff is this Mm -hmm. people that have worked in the system and have paid the system for 20 30 40 50 years i have no problem paying them what they're due because they've invested in the system those that have not invested or put one dime in the system i got a problem with that i'm not i'm willing to help anybody for a while but if somebody moved in with you, Jeff, and you were a nice guy and you put them up for a month or two, you know, while they got their feet on the ground trying to get a new job and all that sort of thing, and then you come home one afternoon and they're laying dead on their back on your couch watching TV, watching Judge Judy. Or they right. moved into your bedroom, you know, <clears throat> right. and they're in your bed and they bring their dog in, yeah. and, you know, all these types of things. I mean, you got to, if you give people an inch, they'll take a mile, you right. know. And again, I do think I, I'm totally with Randy. I'm more than happy to help people. People. But at some point, there needs to be a little bit of effort on the other side. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about current events, and I want to wrap up this segment by uh, talking about some of the advancements in healthcare that have occurred in 2023. All the rage are weight loss drugs. I mean, everybody's wanting to take a shot, do something like that in order to lose weight. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, of course, all those drugs, uh, semaglutide is the compound or whatever it is that's inside these drugs. I'm not a pharmacist, so I don't know about the exact what it's composed of, but I do know that that semaglutide is what makes it work. And it was, of course, originally designed to help diabetics to control their blood sugar. So, of course, we know this and we've learned this, that, you know, a lot of people, they're insulin resistant and they have mm-hmm. really trouble with spiking blood sugar. And anytime you spike your insulin really high, your tendency is to store fat. So, right. uh, but they've used this and, you know, I'm not sure what the long-term outcome is on this, Jeff. That's the thing that always scares me is while, you know, the first part of this looks really good and it's very, really encouraging that say it lowers your blood pressure, lowers your weight, lowers your chance of heart attack, stroke, all those things. But we never know really what the long-term side effects are. You know, it's kind of like DDT and Paraquat, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's true. I think, I don't think a lot of people have given thought to the fact that if this is the way they're going to lose weight, that they're going to be on it forever. And this is Um, not a permanent solution, as you said. I mean, whatever happened to diet and exercise, let's throw that out the door and take a shot for something, even with the side effects. But people will do anything in order to, as I said, avoid diet and exercise. Let's real quick talk about some cancer drugs. There's been some development there. Yeah, there's been some development there where they can, you know, skin cancer is one of those things that a lot of people deal with from playing golf and, you know, maybe water sports or just being outside over the years. So they have a a new drug there that can really delay the formation and the growth of cancer cells that way, basal cell and that sort of thing. But they also have some new drugs now that are actually able to attack and neutralize, if you will, stop the growth of cancerous tumors. So that's something that's really interesting. I think J&J Johnson & Johnson and a couple other places have have really got some work, good work going on there. And then, of course, we had an Alzheimer's drug that shows real promise uh, out there. So all this stuff, you know, is coming in from biotech and the things that we're Mm -hmm. learning there. So I think biotech has a strong future. It will probably be something we'll see more and more of looking forward. Yeah, looking forward to 2024 and seeing how far we go with these things. Of course, cancer and Alzheimer's, those are two things that affect a lot of people listening to our program today and most of America. Well, if you're listening to the program today, you still have questions of 
Randy and Jake, you'd like to get in and sit down and talk about your individual situation and your journey towards retirement and how things such as, you know, the presidential election, interest rates, I mean, how the system is cycled, the U.S. debt, how that is all going to affect your journey towards a prosperous retirement, then I want you to call this number, 417-889-7233, and request your no-cost, no-obligation Floyd Financial Group review. Just a friendly conversation between you and Randy and Jake to put you on that path towards a prosperous retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime. Once again, that number, 417-889-7233. You could also request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back, we're going to dive into 12 hard truths about retirement and more when our show continues right here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shane. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about 12 truths about retirement. And most of us spend decades working and dreaming of a day when we can retire. But when we finally arrive at our post-work destination, it's not unusual to find a world of surprises. So in this segment, we'll talk about some hard truths about retirement. Number one are the people who say, I can't wait till uh, I get retired. I'm 65 because I'm going to get Medicare. It's entirely free and it covers everything. Really, that couldn't be further from the truth. Well, that's true. You know, all the years that you worked, you paid into it through your, you know, your taxes. You paid Medicare and Medicaid. Even if you got to the point to where you maxed out what you had to pay for Social Security, you still paid Medicare and Medicaid. And then, of course, when you go on Medicare, you must have Medicare Part B as in boy. Now, for most people, starting in 2024, that's around $174 a month. Mm-hmm. But if you are one of those folks and you were fortunate enough to do well, work hard, and you have a higher than average retirement, you may be subject to this thing called IRMA. Mm-hmm. And IRMA basically says, you're making too much money, Jeff. You got to pay us more. So there are some people that are paying as much as, are you sitting down? Yeah. a month for Medicare Part B. Well, still $678. It's cheaper than if you were to do private health insurance that could cost you as much as $1,000 a month or even more than that. But still, roughly $600 is a lot. Although Part A is free, Part B is not. And then you've got these other things, these different plans or supplements, don't you, that you have to pay for. Right. So you have a Medicare supplement plan or you can have a Medicare Advantage plan. And the basic difference is for the supplement plan, you can pretty much use any provider you want to, but you pay a premium. Generally, you're going to pay somewhere in the $130 to $150 a month range for the G plan, the very best plan out there. But you can use any provider that does take Medicare. Whereas uh, with the Advantage plan, many times you're going to be limited to a certain preferred provider organization or a health maintenance organization that you have to stay with. And depending on what your situation is, as you hit 65 and determine what you want to take there, I'm going to tell you, you need to sit down with a professional. And if you don't have somebody that you trust or that you know, give us a call. We can hook you up with somebody to help you figure all that out. Yeah. So there are some decisions to be made as far as Medicare. And if you've got one of the Advantage plans, 
I understand that in many cases, or in some cases, that you have to be underwritten to go back to the regular Medicare? That is true. You know, that's the one real caveat. If you have a Medicare supplement plan, over time, your rates will start low and they will go up. And the reason right. is there's a book of business you get added to, and as those people die off or those people get extremely ill and the price of taking care of that group that you're a part of goes up, it's going to cost you more as well. That's the one caveat to the supplement side. The other side of that coin is when you do the Advantage plan, if you ever wanted to go back because you've fallen upon some illness that is really, really costly and difficult to get treatment for, you may not be able to switch back. So another hard truth about retirement, Medicare will not be free. The next one is Social Security. You know, a lot of people think, or at least they used to say, well, I can live on Social Security and a pension, but many people don't have pensions these days. And the fact of the matter is that Social Security just doesn't go that far. Yeah, you know, it just depends. I mean, we have some people that do quite well just living on Social Security. They don't have any other debt. They own their home. They don't take a trip every quarter to Hawaii or Europe or around the globe. But they manage to get by and live okay on it. But I will tell you, you will have to be extremely frugal and understand what you're doing with your money to live strictly on Social Security today. Yeah, and even if you don't have a mortgage, remember you've got property taxes and things go wrong with a house. I mean, cars break down. There are all sorts of things that can cost you money. And I think the average Social Security benefit, correct me if I'm wrong, Randy and Jake, isn't it around something like $1,800 a month, something like that? Yeah, for the uh, for the average across the country, Jeff, I would say that that's right. Know that there's you know people that have less benefit than that, and some that have quite a lot more. In fact, now the maximum benefit, if you work to age seventy and you've max funded, is around forty four hundred dollars per month. Yeah, I think too, Randy. Uh, one thing to note uh, is that people in Missouri got a pretty big windfall this year with Social Security not being taxable at the state level. <laughs> Uh, that's a pretty big boost to us. I think there's a couple other states that had that go through. But, you know, I mean, depending on your on your Social Security check, you know, if you're paying 5% for the state, you got 2000 bucks a month, you know, that's 100 bucks a month raise. So that's a, that's a pretty good one for a lot of people. Yeah, so just do the math. And if you can't live on Social Security alone, the answer might be just going back to work. And more and more people are doing that. The next one is, uh, for sure, you will wish you had saved more. I would say that that's the case for most people, yes. Right. <laughs> the thing that's kind of a hard reality, when a person does get to retirement age and they turn on their income, whether that be just Social Security or they turn on their income from that and maybe their investments, and they start to see what the effect is on their investments, especially, you know, we've come through a period here of a couple of years where we peaked at the end of 2021 in the stock market. Mm -hmm. Then we fell almost 20% between January and December of 2022. Then we rallied back and got a little bit north here through January of 2024. But through that time frame, people were living and spending out of their accounts, and they were watching them go down and go down and go down. And it's kind of a hard reality. It's a different thing to face because now you don't have a job or a paycheck coming in, and you know that you got to rely upon that. So it's very important that whoever is handling your finance for you and helping you uh, through retirement retirement, that they understand, number one, the psychological effect on you that it's going to have so they can help walk you through it. But number two, they got to build portfolios right so you can survive it. We're discussing 12 hard truths about retirement with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. And I touched on this just a little bit. Number four, housing will remain your biggest expense. Yeah, the joys of home ownership sometimes, <laughs> or the lack thereof. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is I remember when we paid our house off, my wife got this 
this thing in the mail that she had never seen before. Yeah. And she said, what is this $4,500 tax bill? Does this have to do with our trust? And I said, we used to pay our taxes into an escrow account with our house payment. Right. Since we don't have a house payment, we just have to write the check now. (laughs) She goes, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. A lot of people will never experience that, though. I think yeah. uh, housing is is going to remain a big expense for most people. If you have everything paid off, while it kind of sucks to write that tax check or the insurance check, it still is dramatically reducing uh, your overall housing expense for the year. Still doesn't feel good to write that check. Another hard truth about retirement, Randy and Jake, is your dreams of retirement, well, they may not match reality. Yeah, we find that to be true for people sometimes. One of the biggest disconnects, I guess I would say, if you were to ask just everybody, just go up and down the street and ask people, you know, how much monthly income will you need in retirement as compared to now? Most people don't don't get that answer right. That's a something that, uh, that's why we always tell people, if you can start really planning way ahead of time for retirement and really get a handle on budgets and look at what you have today that's costing you money versus what will be gone potentially, like maybe a house payment and things like that, or maybe college payments or something like that. Really, you know, get a handle on your budget and really look at that because a lot of people would say, oh, I only need probably 50, 60% of what I had when I was working to retire, right? And the answer would probably be no. It's been my experience that people generally spend just about as much in retirement as they did when they worked and maybe a little bit more. Yeah, and that really plays into our next one, which is you may spend more than you expect. Many Americans adjust their lifestyles to cut spending once they uh, see how quickly costs can add up in retirement. So if you think you're gonna spend less, probably not the case. Next one is there's this thing called gray divorce. Divorce may be a threat for some people. I found this one to be really interesting. Do we see some of this? Yeah, we do. Now, you got to realize we're right here in the last bastion of sanity in Springfield, Missouri, even though the uh, saneness is beginning to be in question. <laughs> yeah, once <laughs> even, in a while. Yeah, look even, at the news. Even here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so our, our divorce rate here, I would say, is probably less than right, around right. a lot of parts of the country. But we still do see it once in a while. Finally, you know, mom says, I just can't take it anymore. Your dad's driving me crazy. I'm out of here, right? Or whatever. (laughs) But maybe, you know, it's one of those things that as you spend more time together. Right. The little things that bugged Lisa about me, you know, she's she's telling me, hey, if we're going to be retired together here, you got to straighten up, boy. (laughs) Either that or you you stay on that side of the house, I'll stay on this side of the house and everything will work out. Yeah, there is, you know, there is uh, sometimes a danger of too much togetherness. But yeah, gray divorce is something that people really need to be concerned about. But, you know, I took those vows and I, and, and I hold them sacred. So divorce is not, in, is not in That's my right. future here. I was actually joking. Lisa's never said that. <laughs> <laughs> Next one is you might not work even if you'd planned to. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we have a few people that continue to work for a while. There are some that say, yeah, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever stop working. And then all of a sudden the opportunity presents itself and they do or they Maybe sometimes they get downsized at work. We've seen some of this, and there are people that could get jobs elsewhere. And, and as you know, Jeff, my goodness, for people with experience in lots of fields, right. consulting on a contractual basis, working part-time, working from home, 
something that's certainly easily attainable today for a lot of retirees. You're right. A lot of them, when they get out there and they say, yeah, you know what? I just don't like having my schedule dictated to me anymore. Yeah. And when you go to the hardware store, mostly those are older people working there and they're not doing it because they need the money. They're doing it because they just like the social interaction after all. You've worked for 40 plus years. You can't go from being around those people to just, you know, only being around your spouse. We're talking about 12 hard truths about retirement. Next one is if you've never volunteered before, you're not going to start doing this in retirement. I think there's probably some truth to that. My mother-in-law, I remember watching her over the years. She was always volunteering for something and then she did. But now she's gotten to where she doesn't either. But I, I think that the thought process that you're going to volunteer in an area that you know that you're comfortable in after being paid for it for all those years. <laughs> I don't yeah. know that you're I don't know that you're ready to do that. And I will tell you this too. Volunteering is kind of a thankless job. To some extent, yeah. I mean, you see the benefits I of mean, it, but you, you don't get, get a paycheck for it. Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. But also, you're held as accountable as anybody else for things. And you're there on a voluntary basis. Yeah, I would right. say that if you if you have already been volunteering a lot, you will find more time to volunteer. If you're not somebody that's really volunteered in the past, you're probably not going to find it to be the way you think it's going to be. And the next one is retirement can be especially lonely for single men. And the stat is that women outlive men most of the time. And a robust 71% of women who live alone are satisfied with the number of friends that they have. But for men, it can be a little more difficult. Next one is health issues likely will catch up with you. You know, it's been said that when you're born, if you were to look at a scale... And let's say that when you're born, you're 100% healthy. Mm-hmm. And the day you die is when you're 100% not healthy. And all, right. along, all along the Stands way, to reason. you're kind of, you know, through age 25, I understand we grow, we're developing, and then we start to die from there. But you're in degrees of health. And that's right. Eventually, it will catch up with all of us. And there's two schools of thought on that. One guy said to me one time, he says, Randy, I want to live long and die short not live long and die long. Right. Meaning, I like that. He didn't want to go to the nursing home and live there five years, right? And none of us do. I mean, he still lives life to the edge and continues to go and does things that a lot of people would say, are you crazy? We all got to go some way. I don't know if we'll ever get to go exactly on the terms we want, but I often tell people, I just want to wake up dead in my own bed. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And our final hard truth about retirement is that you may be disappointed at first. That definitely hasn't been been the case so far for Mr. Floyd sitting here. He's been loving every second of it. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people by this point know that, you know, I am I'm a part-timer here now. So I've gotten to enjoy some retirement for the last going on 7 months yep. and I have to tell you, I'm not looking to come back full-time. Yeah. <laughs> I do think to this stat, I think a lot of it is people changing from a career that they've had for 30 or 40 years where their their sense of identity, their sense of purpose has been that job. It's going to take a little bit for you to figure things out and figure out how you fit into the world after you no longer have that career. And I think you make different friends and things, especially if you know your coworkers are not the same age as you, you know, because they're still working while you have all this time on your hands. I think that's what it's referring to. And I think, you know, it can be a little bit challenging, but I do think that the vast majority of people 
figure that out pretty quick and, and end up enjoying retirement. Well, the other thing I would throw out here, too, is you have to get to know the wives of your friends really well so that when you call them and say, hey, can Jeff come out and play? They say, okay. <laughs> there you go. You just go back to being a kid again. <laughs> We've been talking with Randy and Jake here about the hard truths about retirement. If you've got questions about that, you want to avoid some of the hard truths, you really want to get a retirement reality check. Once again, we're offering that at absolutely no cost and no obligation for you. That's 417-889-7233, a chance for you to sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about your journey towards retirement. Make sure that it's everything that you'd always hoped that it would be. Once again, 417-889-7233. Here we are early in the year. Why not take advantage of the opportunity we're giving you right now to get yourself off on the right track? 417-889-7233. You can call this weekend if you want. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break. When we come back here in our radio program today, we're going to be talking about some misconceptions about annuities when our show continues after this. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpas, Randy and Jake Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk about seven misconceptions about that dirty four-letter word that's actually (laughs) closer to 10 letters, the annuity. And then we're going to talk about the truth of the matter. Yeah, and so many people have misunderstandings about annuities. I think it is one of the most misunderstand financial tools out there. You hear some people who say that they hate annuities. Other people say that they love annuities. So let's look at the pros and cons of annuities. They may not be for everybody. So the first one, I think, is that people have a misconception that all annuities have very, very high fees. Is that always the case? That is not always the case. So let's talk about that briefly. And this is going to be a little bit of a long-winded response to that. But I think people need to understand this to get a grasp on this. So when did the variable annuity... Now, a variable annuity is an annuity that's tied to the valuation of the stock market. When did those become really popular? They became really popular in the 80s and the 90s. And the reason was the 401k was new. Money was flowing everywhere into the market because prior to that, only wealthy people invested in the market. But with the advent of mutual funds proliferating and uh, the insurance companies, you know, doing the variable annuity to put money into accounts that were tax deferred, it caused them to really grow. So if you think about it, if I'm a person, I'm funding my retirement accounts to the max, and I'm looking to put money someplace where I can grow it and grow it tax deferred because I'm paying 35 to 40% in income tax. Well, if you tell me that I can save my 40% and only pay a 3% fee for a variable annuity and still get market performance, people in those days were saying, well, that's a no-brainer. I'm saving 37% <laughs> is how they looked at it, okay? Now, let's fast forward to today's times in reality. Today, people are very, very conscious of the amount of fees they're paying. I'm very conscious of the amount of fees I'm paying. I don't want to pay any more than I have to. I want to pay what makes sense for me to pay. And sometimes paying a fee is okay. Not always, but sometimes it is. So when we look at annuity contracts today, they have morphed into these things that today we have straight up fixed annuities that are paying 5.5%. Right now, you can get five and a half. Maybe in some cases, there may still be some 6% money out there. 
Now you have to commit to 10 years, but some people say, hey, I'll do that. I'd like to have a 6% return for 10 years. But we also have variable annuities. And then we have this, this variation, which is a combination of like the fixed and variable called a fixed index annuity, where it tracks an index like the S&P 500, except that you get the security of knowing that the market's not, if the market goes down, you're not going to participate in the downside risk. So there's all these different setups out here. For some people, an annuity is absolutely not the right investment. For a lot of people, a blending of many asset classes is absolutely appropriate because what we're looking to do is protect gains, get gains, take income. And so there's many different asset classes that will provide that. So let's talk about the first thing that we hear maybe first and foremost is, well, if I put my money in an annuity contract and I die, all the money is gone, right? Well, the answer is no, that's not right. Now, can it be set up that way? It absolutely can be set up that way. I call that committing a new aside. And we're not going to do anything like <laughs> no, that or, here. No. Okay? <laughs> so there would be a reason sometimes that we would absolutely set an annuity contract up like that, but it would have to do with long-term care and reasons for Medicaid. Okay, but that'd be the only reason we would do that. Probably the second one is the insurance company makes all the money with my money and I don't make any money. And that's just simply not true. The insurance companies, what they really do for us is they help us to mitigate risk by taking on some of the risk that we would otherwise have to have. And to do that, we sell away a little bit of the upside so that we can have the protection for the downside, but we can still get the lion's share of the upside in the gains. Is liquidity a consideration or is that something that people misunderstand? I would think that with annuities, they're really not liquid. You're really tying up your money for what, five? seven years, something like that? So, you know, annuity contracts come in all shapes and sizes. You can get one year, two year, all the way through 25 year and lifetime annuities. And then there's variations for that. Generally speaking, when it comes to retirement planning, we're not going to put money in an annuity contract that ties your money up for life where you don't have access to it. Now, generally, we will have terms on the annuity contract, kind of like a CD. And the reason I go to a CD is people can relate to that. You go to the bank and you get a 15-month CD, you get a five-year CD, whatever it is. You know, when interest rates are higher and starting to go down, people are all of a sudden say, well, I'd like to have a 10-year CD at five. Well, okay. You know, so you can do that with an annuity contract as well. The CD, the Certificate of Deposit, generally only gives you access to your money a couple times a year where they actually put your interest payment in and then you're able to take that interest payment out and that's all you can get out. With the annuity contracts, most, I say most, not all, but most are gonna give you at least 10% of your money every year, access to that. So you put $100,000 in, you're gonna be able to get to 10,000 right away. If you're using it as the goose that's gonna lay the income golden egg, then that's what you want to do. You don't want to withdraw more than 10% anyway, because if you do, soon you won't have any money anyway. People say, well, don't the stock markets return 20 and 30% a year? Once in a while they return 20 and 30, but not most times. So what we're looking for when we use these annuity contracts is we're looking for some of the sheltering, if you will, against loss by the insurance company, because that's what they do is they assume the risk. Uh, but then they also have ways for us to make money while we're protecting it. So I don't know what you've heard about annuities. I remember when I was first in this business, man, they were the bane of the investment existence. And right. I will just tell you today, they can be a very strong part of a well-rounded portfolio for retirees. Ready, let's 
say that I've invested $100,000 into an annuity. Let's say it's a five-year annuity, and then three years in, something comes up, and I need my $100,000 back. Can you get that money back? You can. You will pay a penalty, and it depends on what the situation is at the time. Regardless of what asset class you own, whether it be an annuity, a stock, a house, a piece of farmland, gold, silver, diamonds, platinum, oil, gas. I don't care what it is. It's all subject to market value adjustment or supply and demand. It's the same way in many of the annuity contracts. Like right now, interest rates are pretty high as we've seen them, you know, in the last 40 years, you know, at five and a quarter to five and a half percent. So most likely, if you were to have an annuity contract you bought today that has an MVA, a market value adjustment, most likely what's going to happen as time rolls forward and interest rates go down, and if they do for sure go down, you will get a positive market value adjustment, which many times can offset and may completely offset or even more than offset what your potential surrender charge would be. But you're always going to be able to get to that 10% of your assets each year, whatever you have in the annuity, no penalty. Only if you breach that would it ever come into a situation where you would ever have a penalty. We're talking with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about misconceptions about annuities. We have talked about fees, liquidity. Next one is when you die, the insurance company keeps all your money. Yeah, that is a uh, wide misconception. While you can set it up that way, when you have an annuity contract, if you're a single person and you want to get the maximum lifetime payment, then you would set up what's called just a life annuity, and it would pay you the maximum amount for as long as you draw breath. Now, you don't have to set it up that way. That's one way to do it, and that's the only time that the insurance company would keep the money, but that they do that in exchange for paying you a larger payment. Now, if you're married and you set up an annuity contract that you want a monthly income from, you just simply put a beneficiary on there and it would go to your wife first and then your kids secondarily, and then you could even put a contingent beneficiary on there behind that if you want to. You can also set up an annuity contract that says, I want it to pay for me and my spouse. This is especially valuable when we have a husband and wife that don't have children and all they're looking to do is maximize their income and know that they'll never run out. So that's another way to do it. We can set up annuity contracts if they have a specific purpose to pay for five years or for 10 years or 15 years or for 20 years. So there's lots of different ways, but rarely, and I'm going to tell you this, you don't have to ever, ever give up your money to have an annuity contract. There's always ways to set up beneficiary designations. Only should you choose that one option, that is the lifetime pay for one life, yours, to get the maximum payment would the insurance company take off with your money. And our final misconception about annuities is uh, inflation will always outweigh the returns I get with my annuity. Is that the case? That is simply not the case. It depends on what kind of annuity you buy. If we are sitting back where we were five years ago and we got a 2% or a 2.5% annuity, which was paying double what the current CD rate was, and inflation goes to 9 absolutely that's right. Right. I would say I would say that basically the last two years is the only time that that would have been true out of the last 45 or so. That is correct, Jake. That's exactly right. So most times, and again, I'm not saying that annuities are right for 100% of anybody's money. They're not. But what they are, just like a lot of other asset classes, bonds and stocks and real estate and all these different things, they're a part 
of a well-rounded portfolio and they have a place in there to help us get gains and protect against loss and be able to derive income that we can't outlive. Randy, Jake, if our listeners have questions about annuities, we certainly do invite you to call us and request your complimentary retirement review. It's just a friendly conversation with Jake or Randy that'll cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey and any blind spots that you might have missed. And again, annuities is going to be part of that conversation. Again, no cost, no obligation for this and no judgment. Certainly, Randy and Jake will meet you where you are. So if you've got questions about annuities and whether or not they're right for you, we certainly invite you to call us and do it today. 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. There may not be anyone live there to answer the phone this weekend, but you can leave your information and Ashley will give you a call back on Monday and set up an appointment for you. Once again, no cost, no obligation, and no judgment. 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. If you're just joining us, this is Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. If you've missed any part of the show, remember we're a podcast. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. You'll find this show and many of our past shows so they can stay on top of your journey towards retirement. Time for a break. When we come back, gentlemen, we'll be talking about how you develop sustainable retirement portfolios when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk people of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more straight talk and honest answers with Randy Floyd, Jake Floyd, and Jeff Shea. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about how do we develop a sustainable retirement portfolio? And it's not as simple as some people may think, you know, with the big box advisors, it's stocks and bonds, and that'll do it. But really, there is a lot more to a sustainable retirement portfolio and what I'll call a comprehensive retirement portfolio. So where do we start with this journey here? Yeah, so I think the first thing, Jeff, is for us to help people, we really need to know and understand our client. We need to sit down with them and just have a heart-to-heart as to how do they see retirement? What are they really wanting to accomplish or do during that time frame? Everybody's goal is so different. For some people, they want to, you know, go home and sit on the back porch and watch their cattle and their grass grow. For other people, they want to travel the world. For some of us, we want to run and swim and bike and fish Mm -hmm. and, you know, all those things. It, It just, everybody is different. First and foremost, we have to understand what's important to them and make sure that we're helping them to meet those retirement goals that they had in their mind and their heart for a while. Yeah, and I think a lot of people neglect that, that you really get to know the person. They're robo-advisors, and I've been reading about how AI is going to be taking over financial planning, but I think robo-advisors and artificial intelligence, I mean, do they really get to know the client? Well, here's the thing I would say. I don't know. I mean, and maybe this will be true. I'm not sure that a robot is ever going to have and know your feelings, Jeff. No. (laughs) It may, maybe sometime after our lifetimes. But for right now, that is something that it just cannot do. So that's so important to know how people feel about different things and to design a plan based on those feelings. So knowing the client, very, very important. And that's a good jumping off point. 
Next one is going to be Social Security. Is maximization of Social Security, is that the only thing? Or tax savings down the road, does that play into the conversation? You know, a little bit of both, Jeff. I would say this, that Social Security and when to take it, everybody has a different take on that. You know, if you go out to the web and say, when should I take Social Security? I would say that you would probably see, more than anything else, you need to wait till 70. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here going, hmm... I'm 67. Should I have waited till I was 70 to take Social Security? Probably not. <laughs> and and there's a lot of people that come in and they want to take it at 62. And there'd be some people say, well, that's just wrong. You've cut your paycheck for, for life. So a couple things, again, it's going to be depend on the person. You need to know your client. So maybe they have a health issue. Maybe they are just sick and tired of being sick and tired. They want to take Social Security uh, at 62 and do some part-time work. Maybe they got some little, you know, gig work they want to do to make a little bit of money. They can still make up to around 22, 23,000 a year and not have to give any of it back. Maybe they've already retired. Maybe they have a pension. Maybe they were in law enforcement and they have already worked their 20, been retired for a few years there, and, it's, and they just want to have the extra income for Social Security. You know, there's so many things to factor into it. The other thing is, Jake has said this many times, if you tell me the exact day that you're going to die, I can tell the exact day that you should take Social Security. Yeah, I was going to say, too, that uh, I think really the main question, and, and it really goes down all those things you just said, Randy, but how many days are you guaranteed after today? Right. You're not guaranteed you know, tomorrow. Zero, right? right? So knowing that, that really should be a major factor in deciding when to take Social Security. You know, most of the analysis people do, they say, well, you know, if I don't take it, and then there's three years between when I would have taken it and when I actually took it, it's going to take me 10 or 11 years to break even. Well, that assumes a 0% rate of interest on the money that you would have taken from Social Security. Uh, if you start factoring in a 4 or 5% return on that money, given the fact that you don't know when you're going to die and all those things, there's a lot of times where you know it may not make sense at all to wait. Really, when you stop working is probably the biggest factor in when you should take Social Security because you're limited in how much money you can make if you take it early and so on and so forth. But uh, that's one of the biggest things we drill down on when you come in for your complimentary review. And you can run the information through one of those Social Security optimization programs. But again, it's going to give you a rough result as to when you could take Social Security. But again, getting back to that knowing the client, that is another factor that plays into when someone should take Social Security. We're talking about uh, developing a sustainable retirement plan with Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group. Next one is going to be simply savings. Pretty basic. How much money have you got? You know, when we talk about savings, I think we're, we need to break this out and we're going to talk about three different categories. What would I would potentially call savings? One is how, how much money have I just got sitting in the bank somewhere for emergencies and that sort of thing. And that's really what we're talking about here. Secondly, which we'll talk about in a minute, it's the 401k and retirement plans. And then uh, we'll talk about pensions as well. But for just a savings account and just having money that you know you can access in case emergencies come up is really quite crucial. Plus, I will tell you that when you're in retirement, let's say that we have one of these economic downturns, and let's say it's a COVID that didn't last all that long, or maybe it's like the great financial crisis we had in, in, in 7, 8, and 9. Right. You know, there may be a time when you will need six, eight months, a year, or maybe even a little bit more of cash available. I'm going to tell you that I believe that most people need to have about six months of 
living expense in cash just so they can feel comfortable. Now, you can keep it in a short-term CD or you can keep it in a savings account or something like that, but they really need that just so that they know when things come up, they can handle it. And it's really, again, it's an emotional thing as much as anything for a lot of people. And especially, you know, like for my wife, she just likes to know that, you know, we can write a check for what might come up and happen. You know, I mean, there's always the catastrophic, but just for the normal things, you know, it's a roof, it's something with the plumbing, it's something with the car, it's something, you know, lots of different things. But I think savings and having some of that out there and available, we need to understand people, what their spending habits are and determine what they need to have out there for comfort. So six to 12 months is what most people recommend in terms of liquid cash. Can you have too much? I mean, let's say you've got 18 months or two years. Is that too much to have in cash for savings? Yeah, at that point in time, Jeff, you're probably a little bit over the top and you're just costing yourself money and and costing you a little bit of a hedge against inflation. All right. So we've talked about knowing the client, Social Security, savings here in terms of sustainable retirement portfolios. Next one, as you mentioned, 401ks and retirement plans. Do most people have 401ks, IRAs when they first come into you? Yes, they do. And uh, the thing I would say is, you know, the 401k and the retirement plan, whether it's a 403b, which is kind of the nonprofit 401k or a 457, a government type plan. Most people have just been funding money in there and socking it away, socking it away for all these years. And they've watched it grow and and grow and go back down and come back up and go back down and come back up, you know, and it comes back a little higher each time. For them, it's really one of those things where they know it's there, but how does that equate to my living and how does that equate to monthly income that I can count on? That's one of the things we really have to drill down on, which again goes back up to number one, we got to know our client. We got to know what their expenses are going to be, what they plan to spend, what their budget is, what they're going to want to do in retirement so that we can really ascertain whether or not their social security and what they can draw from their retirement plan is going to suffice. And the next element of a sustainable retirement plan has to do with pensions now how common are pensions these days among your clients the last number i saw was about 16 percent. so mm. we know that it might be slightly stronger here we still have the fed med here in town and several places that actually do pay pensions city utilities any of the people working for the state of missouri like you know people from msu and all the university all those places but really about 16 percent of people have pensions and for those that do man it's a tremendously good windfall today yeah and those people tend to enjoy a little bit higher standard of living in retirement, but knowing how to time pensions, 401k and retirement plan income, and social security is one of those things that comes into play in every retirement plan that we do. And depending on what your situation is there may affect when you take your social security, may affect when you take your pension plan. It just depends. Yeah. And another big question that comes with pensions is, should I take it as a monthly annuity or should I take it as a lump sum? And I think that many times, correct me if I'm wrong that the answer is not always clear cut. Well, it's not completely clear, but what we do is we drill down on what they're willing to pay. In other words, what does that pension pay? And you would think, well, all pensions pay the same, right? And wrong answer. They don't. It's pretty amazing, actually, how much different they can be. A rule of thumb is this. If your pension plan, let's say in your pension plan, you've got $500,000 and they offer to pay you $24,000 a year, $2,000 a month in a pension. I'm going to tell you, in that case, you're better off to take the lump sum, invest it, and go ahead and pay yourself the 24000 rather than leaving it there. Because again, you can have your cake and eat it too by doing that. Because we can generally and always historically, we can cover a 5% distribution. 
okay, off your money. That's pretty easy to do long term. But then you get to have liquidity of money. Whereas if when you take the pension, when you turn on the pension, you've turned it on and you're done. That's what you're going to get for life. What's what your wife is going to get when you're gone versus having access to the lump sum. I've often heard that you do not have a retirement portfolio or a sustainable retirement portfolio unless you have a plan for health care and long term care. Yeah, for sure. I mean, health care is a big piece of what happens. We have some individuals right now that are going through some pretty catastrophic uh, health issues. You know, the, the nursing home is obviously the worst part of that, but there's also a few things that can happen to us along the way. Even though we have Medicare and we have good health plans that way, that can cost right now up to eight or $9,000 a year in drug costs in additional. Mm-hmm. But again, if we get into long-term care and things, man, you're talking about, you know, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 a year in costs now, even right here in the last bastion of sanity. So we need to always explore that and what people need there. Now, that's not saying that we're always going to opt to buy insurance. I need to paint the picture for people, look at their situation with their finances, How are their finances broken up? Is it land and cattle and some retirement? Is it mainly retirement? Is it mainly money they've saved that's outside retirement plans? All those different things come into play when we start looking at health care costs and how to cover them and how to protect, ultimately, your spouse against being destitute based on your long-term care bills. And our final sustainable element in a retirement portfolio is going to be estate planning. And this is something that I think once in a while people really neglect. Yeah. So, I mean, the estate plan is something that is very important. People say, well, how does that play into a retirement portfolio? Well, in today's world, we know this. We have a lot of people that have been married before and they have a blended family. And I will tell you that a blended family alone creates an issue. Once in a while, too, we have people that have a fairly significant age gap between the husband and wife. But when we have blended families and things like that, we want to take care of our spouse to make sure that they have income and have a place to live after we're gone. But we don't want to disinherit our kids, right? So we have to be really careful how we structure estate plans and things around that. Not to mention the fact that part of the health care planning can also be part of an estate plan. So it goes right back to health care costs. So there's lots of things that, yes, will affect your retirement and your comfort in retirement and your peace of mind in retirement by doing the estate plan. We've been talking about how to develop a sustainable retirement portfolio with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group. We've covered knowing the client optimizing Social Security, taking a look at your savings, 401ks and retirement plans, pensions, health care, and estate planning. Once again, if you have questions about your retirement and you're wondering whether or not it is sustainable, well, we invite you to call Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group. Sit down and ask your questions and get the answers that you need. That number, 417-889-7233. No cost and no obligation whatsoever for this consultation. It's 417-889-7233. Why don't you give to call this weekend. Well, Randy and Jake, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. But most of all, I really want to thank our fine listeners here in the great city of Springfield, Missouri, for joining us. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. 
Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.